Welcome to the EchoCast. I am Bon, and this is a podcast about video game news, speculation, reviews, and whatever else I feel like chatting about. This week, we'll talk about celebrating five years of the EchoCast and a whoopsie. An unreal showcase at GDC, Redfall hands-on impressions, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, and if you're on Spotify or iTunes, please review the show. On YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like the video, and comment with your thoughts, questions, or to just say hello. It all helps the algorithm boost me to other people, and I appreciate it. A huge thanks to supporter-level patrons PK, The Don, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Gaming news. Let's get into it. We have 13 stories this week. Up front... Uh, like four of them are like for my content and me. So, you know, but we have some good stuff here. So number one, story number one, this, uh, this last week, uh, I believe it was on the 22nd, we celebrated five years since I released the first echo cast. Uh, the first episode released five years ago, this podcast started off as a, um, the division podcast, like the first game. Uh, it evolved to the second game and then gosh has it been a couple years now a, a while back i turned it into a more generalized show um and and that and now we're where we are and it's pretty cool um it, it's been an interesting journey um obviously it peaked right when the division two came out um, and kind of decrease from there and has settled in to where it is now. Um, the numbers aren't astronomical, but they're good for me, uh, for the effort I put in, I feel, um, you know, like it's worth it. And, uh, I'm always trying to find ways to grow and change things up and make things better. And, uh, we'll continue doing that. Um, I am going to do a bit of a, I'm going to do a little giveaway. If you check it out on twitter.com slash bond diesel, or just look up at bond diesel on Twitter. Uh, my pinned comment is a pretty substantial, um, giveaway package bundle. Um, so go check that out. It's a, just a little celebration. Um, and there's more to that story, which I'll get to next, but yeah, this podcast has been really fun. Um, I looked back at the first episode and the video I did for it, and uh, it's rough. It's not very good. Uh, I, I won't necessarily argue that it's uh, amazing now that uh, it's not the highest quality production, but um, I think it's pretty good and I'm happy with it. And um, it was good to look back and appreciate what I used to do. The worst thing about the old episodes is the audio. I'm using a, a Fifine mic, um, which actually is pretty good. Uh, but it, um, I didn't have it set up right. Nothing else was set up correctly. It was just a mess. Uh, and then I'm sure some people will remember the fun, gosh, it might've been a couple months 
or it was at least a few episodes that I recorded with the mic of some Samsung earbuds uh, that I recorded downstairs while I was watching my newborn. Uh, it just wasn't realistic to uh, do anything else uh, the way things are set up. It made the most sense to do it the way I did. And, you know, those are charming episodes, even if um, the quality isn't quite up to snuff or uh, not exactly what I would prefer. But here we are. So five years later, thank you so much. If you're listening, uh, we're on episode. I think this is 229. Um, and we have a few interview episodes that are separate. Uh, and there's even if you look closely, some uh, the uh, the Xbox Dadcast episodes out there for a really short time i want to say maybe it was a month or two i tried to do a second podcast where i focused on xbox news um i believe it was before the series x released and it just uh it didn't gain any attention and i probably gave up on it too early but i i have found my groove with the amount of content i'm able to make and uh i'm glad i cut that when uh when i did so so there's that. So thank you for five years. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll move on. So so story number two is related to that giveaway. So I am using, I believe it's givelabs.com uh, for the giveaway. It's one of those websites you see it all the time where uh, you click and you subscribe to YouTube and uh, you subscribe to Twitch and and and, you know, and Twitter and things like that. And uh, they collect your info. Um, it helps me pick a winner. And we go from there. Well, I learned this week that YouTube does not like this website. Um, and so I knew when I was setting up the giveaway, if you tried to select um, the options for YouTube where someone has to subscribe to you or has to like one of your videos or has to watch one of your videos, it specifically pops up and tells you, hey, if you pick this option, you cannot post this giveaway on YouTube because they will give you a strike um, for basically um, farming um, uh, clicks, essentially. Um, so I didn't pick those. There was a fourth option where all they had to do was visit your site which is what I picked. And that one doesn't have the disclaimer. It doesn't say, hey, be careful. You know, they'll, they'll hit you for this because in their guidelines, that isn't against their policy. Now, I may have messed up here. There's a way so you can link your YouTube page, but if you add something to the end of it, when, when someone looks at your page, it pops up a thing and says, hey, do you want to subscribe to this? And it doesn't force you to. And the way my giveaway is set up is all you have to do is click the link. You just have to look at the page and you get an entry. Well, um, either YouTube saw through my ruse and still felt like that was against their policy. Or what I think happened is they just automatically flag and strike anyone who posts a give labs link, whether it breaks their policy or not. This is what I think actually happened because literally I got the strike and they removed that video, which I've alleviated within like six, maybe five seconds of me updating the description. So I think they just automatically flag and strike uh, anyone who uses one of those links, which they're not really supposed to do. So I have appealed 
The issue is that my strike is for a week, which means I can't post videos, I can't post shorts, I can't post community posts, and I can't stream for seven days. Uh, so I won't be able to do any of the, those things until next Friday. That's obviously a huge bummer because uh, in the last like month, um, we've increased uh, the viewership hours by like it's over like 13 or 1400 hours. Uh, and, and that's about half of what I needed to do to get partnership. So I was definitely on the right path to getting uh, to that goal. Uh, and this week is going to hurt. It's going to hurt me a lot, actually. So I'm, um, I submitted the appeal. The main issue being that sometimes it takes them two to three weeks to review your appeal. And that will be two or three weeks after I've gotten my my access back. Now, it would be ideal for them to remove that strike, even if they do it late, because uh, if you get three strikes, they delete your channel. So I would prefer to not have that hanging over me, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. So with that said, this episode will not go up on YouTube until probably next Friday for a, a week, almost a week after it's released. So um, if you can do me a favor, I have a bit of a call to action. Um, if you are willing, go to my YouTube and watch as many videos as you can. Uh, you got Mass Effect videos, you got the Division videos, you've got other podcasts, you've got interviews I've done. Uh, this coming week, I'm going to push interviews and videos really hard to try to get some views that way to make up for the lost videos and the lost views I'm going to have from this strike. Um, so I would really appreciate it. Uh, share them, watch them, interact with them, like them, put comments in them. Um, you know, help me out if you're able. I would really appreciate it. And it would help um, take away the sting of this strike because I just don't expect them to fix this uh, before then. So there we are. Um, I will keep you updated. Check out my YouTube uh, or my Twit, my Twitter, uh, and you can uh, keep an eye on what's going on. And if you want to enter that contest, that merchandise uh, giveaway, uh, my pinned comment is uh, links to that. So please do that. Story number three is actually about games. So GDC was this week. Um, there was some interesting stuff that came from it, but what grabbed my attention the most was the Unreal Engine 5 presentation. Um, it was very cool. Um, you would think from an outside perspective that it was like very Fortnite focused, but it, you, if you know how many games, if you've listen to this podcast or you've been paying attention on your own and seeing just the insane number of games and per, um, and the publishers and developers that are switching to unreal engine 5 in this generation um everything we saw during this should have been really exciting um the first thing that we saw was them talking about their facial capture and animation tech um they, it also featured their tech where they can take an audio file and just put it into their animation system and it figures out how to sync, which is so cool. Um, but there was a special little bonus during this part of the presentation where they bought, they brought out the, um, the voice actress and the, uh, the person who does all of the, the capture, all of the body movements and facial capture for Sinua from the Sinua sacrifice Hellblade game. Um, obviously, you know, and this was, they, they talked about the second game a little bit and we saw the quickest demo involving, uh, her model from that game. 
Um, but what was really interesting about this is they did, uh, they showed two demos. They did one live where they recorded her, um, making, uh, doing like acting with her face and doing voice acting. They recorded it and within, I think it was maybe 90 seconds to two minutes, they basically digitized that. They got her voice capture. They took her, um, the animations of her face and they applied it to a model and it did everything back extremely well i'm not gonna pretend like it was perfect i'm sure maybe it was flawed in some capacity you would have to be someone who does this for a living to see any issues with it i because i didn't it looked great to me but it just looked like what, what they were demonstrating was if you have a cell phone you can do at least decent facial capture and animation where you'll see like a lot of like indie games We'll have characters with masks on or we'll do text for voices because it's expensive and it's hard to do animated faces that look good. And, you know, you don't want to half ass it. And the I would say the basic version of this, the, the pure capture is pretty good. Now, uh, any of the big AAA studios, they're going to be using Unreal Engine 5, like BioWare with the next Mass Effect and um, CD Projekt Red with the next Witcher, are obviously probably going to use this tech with, with their, they probably aren't going to use a cell phone camera. They're probably going to use nicer equipment, which will give them a better result. And then they will go in there and tweak it, right? Like they'll take the time to have their animators go in there and finesse the details. But having them start off with a really good, beginning rather than nothing or a bad facial capture um is a big deal and it's going to help efficiency a lot and that was the gist of what i gathered from all of this is that it's not perfect but i bet this is better than anything that's out there now and i bet this is going to save developers a lot of time so with a game like the next mass effect when i propose that this game might be coming as soon as 2025 and people say oh it's crazy it's like seven years away these kind of things are the efficiency boosters that could potentially bring it sooner. Now, here's the other side of that coin. You know, so maybe this does make things way more efficient. Well, what if developers then or publishers or whoever say, well, this cut two years off of our development, all of these amazing Unreal features. And instead of releasing the game two years earlier, they double the scope of the game. They, they, they double the story length. They double the characters. They double the environments. They double all of those things. And then the game ends up taking six or seven years to come out. That's always possible, right? Um, I, I hope so. You hope that these devs use this new technology uh professionally and appropriately and don't try to take it too far but we just don't know we won't know until it actually happens and we'll have to wait and see what they do with it so i thought this was super cool the second part of it was they actually did they showed like a pre-recorded thing they did with this actually using the sinua model from the second game that's in development and um it did much more with showing uh, like a really detailed model and like backgrounds changing and lighting and stuff happening that that just made it really great and um, that voice actress does such a good job she's so emotive and does such a good job portraying that character especially considering she wasn't a voice actress before she started doing this so um, I'm really excited to see what comes of that. I'm excited for the next Mass Effect and all of the other games that we've heard are using Unreal Engine 5 now. 
and uh, I'm curious to see how it works. I did do a whole video on this. If you check out the YouTube, uh, this is one of the videos that you can watch and check out and see my thoughts on the presentation, see this footage I'm talking about, and um, to kind of get my thoughts on how I think it's going to affect the release timeline of the next Mass Effect. Story number four, only 25% of players completed Hogwarts Legacy. This was reported by a few different uh, journalists. Um, there was some really interesting reaction. I saw that uh, a dev who was one of the leads on this game, uh, who is no longer with that company, uh, was kind of sassy about it um, and pointed out that other big games, um, uh, games such as Red Dead Redemption um, 2, uh, and, and other ones like that had actually completion ratings lower than that. I think it's very bold to compare Hogwarts Legacy to Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, you know, I know people have different feelings on that game, but um, I would argue that Red Dead Redemption 2 may be one of the best games ever made, but especially for that generation and today, I would argue as well. But getting past that personal opinion, um, it was weird because some of the pushback was like, well, well, that's how a lot of games are. And it's like, yeah, sure. I've heard it's a long game. I also think that there is at least something to the conversation of like, it seems like Hogwarts Legacy is like a pretty good game that because of the culture war that was happening around it, got unfairly put down by people who were on one side and unfairly boosted by people on the quote unquote other side. Um, and not to mention all of the people who just wanted to play a video game and weren't super worried about all the politics and all of the stuff around it. Um, because you know, that, that stuff just has to butt in and kind of ruin things. Right. Um, I just, I think that maybe the interest in that game was a little artificial, um, was a little more based on the controversy around it, more so than the game itself. Basically, the impression I got is that the game has a kind of interesting combat and otherwise is just kind of mediocre uh, and good environmental design. Uh, that was a consistent thing I heard as well, that it really did make you feel like you were in the world of Harry Potter, but that the actual story and stuff was in the characters was just fine, um, if not decent. Um, and so it, again, the reaction to this very much seemed like it was drawn on those boundaries of that, that war that was happening around that game. If you saw people being like, oh, this is a bad article. This is bad journalism. Well, if you look at their account, uh, they, the ones I saw had what you expected on their walls, their retweets and their tweets and so on. And then the people who were like dunking on it for this were the same way. And you can't really dunk on it. Like that completion rate is pretty good. Like that's pretty good for a relatively long game, especially an RPG. Um, I just, I don't know. I think there's a lot around that game. I've seen people being like, oh, this is gonna be game of the year and it will get some consideration. Um, but I don't think it's going to have a chance, especially not this year, like maybe two years ago or even like last year. Uh, no, last year, God of War. But the year before that, maybe it would have had a chance when it takes two won the game awards uh, game of the year. But I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think there's a couple remakes that have come out already that have probably better chances than Hogwarts Legacy. Um, and then there's still games to come like Spider-Man 2, Starfield, things like that. So, um, and the Tears of the Kingdom, the, the, you know, the Zelda game, like 
like let's let's be honest so um i don't know interesting story the reaction to it was interesting as well and i am happy to move on from it uh, story number five is just kind of my thoughts. Um, last week, I concluded my Mass Effect modded playthrough, the first one I've done, the first time I've played on PC, and it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. It was um, really, really interesting. Um, I did a whole video about it. Again, this is yet another video you can go check out and like and comment on uh, and such. Basically, it came down to that I really, really enjoyed a freshened up Mass Effect 1. There were some things about 2 that I enjoyed from the mods, and 3 had like some really high highs with the mods, but overall kind of felt bloated and kind of felt like a different game, if that makes sense. I just, um, I wasn't super impressed by the end, um, but it was still really cool. I'm glad I did it. Um, I am taking a bit of a break from mass effect for at least a couple weeks before i start playing um it again but i do want to do a console playthrough again because i am kind of curious to how it will compare um because there were so many things i would point out during the playthrough while i was streaming it'd be like oh wow that's super cool and then someone in chat would be like mm, that's in the regular game it's like oh okay so i'll be curious to see what things i noticed that i thought were only mod uh, related, but actually are just in the game and I just never noticed it before. So, um, I did, uh, like I said, I did a whole video on this. Um, go check out that video and you can see all of the mods I used. And I specifically called out like 20 of them, um, through the three games I really liked. I actually planned on doing, uh, the same thing for Andromeda. I actually, I got it working. I loaded it up and I started looking at the mods and I thought for sure, with even the relatively like niche or kind of, um, I don't know, maybe the small but passionate fan base that Andromeda has, I figured it would have most of the big mods you would expect, a big community patch, um, and then a bunch of things like that. That game's mod scene is basically a barren wasteland. Now, I don't want to take too many conclusions from that. Um, you know, the, the Mass Effect trilogy has had 10 plus years to build up its mod base. And even the legendary edition has a pretty good set of mods that have been modified to work with the new version of the game. So I do still think it's interesting that much like how the Bioware gear store has zero Andromeda merch, as far as I know, that it's interesting that even the thing completely controlled by the players and their passion in the mod scene is extremely weak, if not like very pathetic, is what I really feel. Um, it was it was interesting to notice that, and I I really wish I could have. Uh, uh, I wish those things were there because I would have loved to be able to play like a patched up kind of good version of Andromeda. But here we are. Story number six, Redfall hands-on impressions. Uh, so it appears that last week or a couple weeks ago, a bunch of developers um, or a, a bunch of uh, creators and so on um, were able to get um, their hands on Redfall, uh, play it. Um, it was single player. They didn't get to play co-op, which is kind of what seems like this game is based around. Um, but it's also meant to be played by yourself if you want to. And the impressions are really interesting. They're all over the place. I would say 
They are generally good impressions, but it kind of seems like everyone is still kind of like looking for the hook, looking for like, okay, what is going to make me want to come back and play this, you know, two or three times a week at least. Um, and because people are looking for that arcane influence, people are looking for, you know, there was this impression when the game was first revealed of like, okay, this is just left, um, left for dead, or this is just whatever. And then the arcane comes out and is like, no, this is an arcane game. And actually it's inspired by Far Cry. And people are like, okay, like that's not what we saw, but if that's what you are saying, then we have to believe you until we see otherwise. And it seemed like a lot of people are still skeptical of that. Um, who have actually played the game um it, it sounds like the, the actual gameplay is a lot of fun it sounds like the open world is like kind of worrying some people that like it has a lot of that kind of generic open world e stuff but then it also does some stuff really well and in, in a really unique way in the way they handle some of the open world events and things like that so it, it's been interesting there was also some information that came out that um they are going to try to make a, a single player, like a not like an offline version of the game. And that's what people have been screaming for, even before they know how bad it's going to be to be always online. Um, and that's good. Now they have kind of been like, we can't promise anything. We, we aren't positive this is going to work out. But uh, overall, it seems like they um, are at least trying to fulfill this wish. And then the final thing that came out about it was something that I found um, extremely interesting. Uh, it was uh, they, uh, the, the game director was interviewed and at one point said that they were developing a PS5 version of this game because the game began, began development before the acquisition of Bethesda. Uh, and Zenimax, uh, but they canceled it. Xbox said, nope, we're not doing PS5. You're doing Xbox and PC and Game Pass. And that's what they've done. Now, it was so funny because this is where like all of the console war stuff gets all stirred up and it's really uh, obnoxious because people basically jumped right to, oh, Phil lied, Phil Spencer, uh, the head of Xbox. Uh, he lied. He said he wouldn't take games away from PlayStation, blah, blah, blah. And that's just not true. What what he said was that they would abide by their current contractual agreements. That's why games, um, of course, I can't think of it. The other arcane game, um, the time loop game. Um, that's why that game was exclusive on PlayStation for a long time. Uh, death loop. That's it. Um, that's why the game was exclusive. Despite the fact that when you loaded it up on a PlayStation five or PlayStation four, it had an Xbox logo because they that was contractually agreed to first that wasn't the case with redfall and they aren't just going to be like ah let's just do sony a solid because sony wouldn't do it the other way around and in the past they haven't there have been times that sony has acquired uh, developers and publishing uh, rights and stuff after uh, even um, advertisements saying that a game was going to be on xbox and then they scrapped the xbox version and uh did it. and the xbox has done this before at one point gears of war was a epic uh game and um gears of war there is a i believe i think a ps3 version of it out there where it was developed and it was pretty far along i believe so this whole thing i mean it just evolved into the unfortunately kind of classic just culture uh you know 
console war crap. Um, and you just have to, in my opinion, just cancel out that noise. It's not worth it. It's not worth diving into. Um, it, it gets, it goes nowhere. 90% of those people are just on there to argue with people and troll. And then just the, the rest of them are just delusional. And that's on both quote unquote sides of, of that. So I don't think this was that big of a deal. It makes sense to me. Why would they waste time and money and resources on the version of the game that once the acquisition happened and there were no contractual agreements, why would they keep working on that? It makes no sense. Okay, and story number seven. Uh, the CMA has changed its tune on the ABK acquisition by Xbox. So uh, just today, I'm recording this on Friday, it was uh, revealed and talked about and how the CMA, after reviewing all of the things that Microsoft has done, has basically come out and said, you know what, at this point, we don't think that there is going to be an unfair advantage if this deal goes through in the console market. And we, you know, that's how we're moving forward. Um, I believe they still are curious or um, questioning how this will impact the streaming market. That's why you see Xbox doing all these deals with all the biggest streaming companies to be like, look, we're going to we're guaranteeing this stuff on their platforms for 10 years. Let's try to alleviate that concern as well. And for better or worse, or, you know, depending on how you look at it, it seems like they're accomplishing that. So um, that deal, it seems like the consensus around the industry now is basically um, the CMA was the hardest on Xbox, seemed like they were the most influenced by Sony and Mark Cerny and stuff like that. And uh, it, it, people seem basically to think that um, the, uh, the, the, the commission in the United States is going to put up like a hubbub about it, but basically just let it through because they don't really care that much. Um, and that the European Union was basically kind of riding on the CMA's coattails and that if the CMA has relaxed, there's a pretty good chance the EU will as well. And so I've seen people predicting this deal could go through as soon as June. Um, that would be super cool for me because I would love to be able to get a refund for Diablo and play it as part of Game Pass. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, what I think is more interesting about this is that if this deal goes through, if this deal didn't go through, I was like certain that Xbox was going to go after Ubisoft, EA, and maybe some other studios and if this deal goes through i think that's there's no way that's going to happen um it's not that they can't afford it i think they probably could afford any of those publishers but i think after this fight um i think they'll go after individual studios um it would be really interesting if a, if a publisher like ubisoft started selling off ip and started selling off um studios and specific ones to try and make itself more attractive to acquisition uh, as well as shutting down some studios um th that could happen but i don't see any huge acquisitions of like ea or things like that um i don't see sony really having the capital or desire to the risk of trying to acquire something like as big as ea they, they everyone thinks they're going to go after square enix and that wouldn't be that surprising um, but really, the big players that people don't talk as much about are Amazon, are Google, are Tencent, um, you know, publishers like Ubisoft, even EA are probably targets 
for those, you know, for, for those people. Now, I've also said that I wouldn't be surprised if EA actually tries to acquire or even partner with someone like Ubisoft. I know it sounds silly, but EA's doing EA for the last three or four years has been doing everything that Ubisoft needs to do. They've gotten back to their roots a little bit. They're giving single player a chance again. They're, they're not trend chasing as much. They're focusing on doing like good indie game publishing of games like it takes two. Um, that would be an interesting one. But um, assuming this deal is like definitely going through at this point. Now it's kind of curious. It's kind of interesting to at least consider what could happen next. Uh, story number eight, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda's sixth anniversary uh, was this week. Um, the much maligned game, uh, you know, has its fans. If you look at the posts uh, from Bioware and the Mass Effect account on Twitter, uh, you know, it, it's not a huge number, but most of the people replying and stuff were very positive and were saying like, oh, we want Andromeda sequel and stuff like that. Um, now, while if you listen to my videos and stuff, you'll know I am incredibly opposed to that. I really, really don't want an Andromeda sequel yet. Maybe one day. We're not ready for it yet. I don't think the world is ready for that yet. I do think um, it's cool for them to celebrate it. Uh, like I said before about the mod scene, about the gear store and stuff like that. As much as a very vocal minority of fans really tries to pump up Andromeda and make it seem like it's more relevant than it is. I don't I don't really think it is. I think the most relevance Andromeda has at this point is the fact that Mike Gamble, who's the head of the next Mass Effect game, seems pretty dedicated and determined to include it in some capacity. Um, I still question how much that's really going to be. I think he's kind of doing a little fan service, trying to make people happy, trying to ease some fears. Um, I think the further we get away from 2017, when Andromeda came out, the less obligated they're going to feel to heavily involved Andromeda, but I think they're absolutely going to do things to try to make sure people um, feel like that game hasn't been completely forgotten, whether it's in references or things like that. So we'll have to wait and see. But either way, uh, you know, props to the devs that, you know, work to the bone to get that game out. Um, you know, obviously, I'm sure it's kind of a stain on a lot of people's resumes to a point. But I think overall, the people should be proud of their work, even if it wasn't received great, because um, I can guarantee not a single one of those frontline devs who made the models, did the animations, designed the environments. It wasn't their fault. The game ended up being the way it was. So, you know, props to them and um, to the people who love Andromeda. Cool. Good for you. I'm unfortunately not um, in, in the same boat, but I... Uh, I appreciate your love for what it is. Story number nine, Diablo 4 has an open beta this weekend. So um, make sure to check that out if you haven't. I really enjoyed the closed beta last week. Um, I pre-ordered to get it. I am that person. I'm sorry. Um, I had so much fun with it. This week, the open beta actually has more of the classes available. I messed around with those a little. I'm not going to play this open beta very much. Um, I, I'm sold. Like I like this game. So I'm going to play it when it comes out in June. And so I definitely don't want to like overdo it now and kind of ruin that experience later. So um, I played with the Necromancer. I played with the Druid. And I think I'm going to leave it there. I don't want to go too deep into it. I don't... Um, want to want to ruin it before it even comes out for me so 
um, definitely check it out. I was extremely impressed by this game. It looks great. It plays great. Um, it seems like it's just going to be a blast. And honestly, the story and the way they're doing like in-game cutscenes and stuff like that, it's not like top tier, but it's pretty good. And the story is interesting. I thought it was really compelling. Um, I actually think they gave us too much, but it sounds like this is going to be a long game with, um, and they're going to release story content as time goes on as well. Um, if you look at the map, I don't know if this is the entire map of the game because you can zoom out. Um, if it's the entire map, it's probably plenty big enough. If it's not, then I don't know how long this game will be, but I'm going to be there for it. Story number 10, Counter-Strike 2 has been announced. Now, I will throw it out there immediately. This seems a little bit less of a like true sequel. As uh, Instead, it seems like they're basically doing like a significant modernization of counter-strike um this game has been out for a really long time and here's the thing as much as we talk about player numbers and and, and the console wars and all this stuff uh, counter-strike to this day consistently has like a million people playing it um all the time like or at least at peak consistently now you need to realize that most games the if they have 50,000 people playing uh, like a Call of Duty, they're pretty happy. That's a good number. So the fact that there's a game out there that's been out forever and looks outdated and isn't modern and doesn't have all the fancy bells and whistles, that's pulling a mill, that's pulling a million people. It's pretty wild. And it's, it's a moment. Now, this game is going to be doing what Overwatch 2 did um, to a point. It is replacing the old game. It's not um, going to be a new skew. And so I'm really curious how it seems like they are trying to keep it more to what it was and not trying to be as drastically change um, happy as Overwatch 2 was. But it's interesting. Uh, one of the big things that they've shown is if you've ever played Counter-Strike, you know that smokes and stuff are a big deal to the point where the high level players are like insane the way that they use them. Um, you can now use like grenades to like temporarily get rid of the smoke. If you shoot through the smoke, it temporarily opens a little window through it. Um, the smoke isn't just a flat texture anymore that is seen differently by everyone, but it's a physical object in the game that everyone sees the same. Like just that one feature shows you that um, it looks like they're trying to keep it to the basics, but they're adding stuff like that, that probably will be a big deal and will be generally liked as a change up to the, the way the game has been for a very long time. Story number 11, Ubisoft is using AI assistance in writing. And so there uh, was a, an article that came out, a few articles that talked about this, that Ubisoft has basically said that uh, they, their writers and uh, some of their staff have come up with this AI tech that can help them do more um, to, to write things like, like secondary voice lines. And so like if you're playing the division two and you start shooting at an enemy and you hear them yelling at you or yelling at their, um, their peers, um, those are called barks. Um, it's like, um, you know, voice lines are happening in combat, but they're not part of like a cinematic in the game. Um, supposedly that's what this is going to be used for now. The cynical side of me and the Ubisoft knower uh, of me 
says, well, yeah, that's where it's going to start. And then it's going to get better and better. And then we're going to see like entire scripts, I think, written by um, by this goofy uh, by, by this goofy AI tech. So I really wish, you know, Ubisoft just isn't a company or a publisher at this point. I trust their studios, some of them. I do not trust them as a publisher any further than I can throw the entire company, which isn't very far. And I just have zero faith in them not doing something with this. It's just going to be stupid. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, some of the writers that I do follow and that I, um, you know, kind of know through Twitter and stuff didn't seem overly worried about this. They were probably involved in the development of it, but there has to be some pause given, I think, for people to say, like, uh, I think they're designing this to get uh, to replace me. <laughs> so let's see how that goes. Uh, story number 12, Jedi Survivor released its story trailer. Um, this game is... <laughs> I like the first one. I know the first one is good. I just am not. I wasn't good at it. It seems like the second one uh, is adding a bunch of features that's going to make it more playable for plebs like me. And so I, I really want to get into it because, I, you know, once I realized I wasn't enjoying the game, I still watched playthroughs of it and caught the whole story. Like I enjoyed the characters and the story and the environments and such. And so. Um, I'm excited to still dive into that stuff. I just hope that this time um, I can dumb it down low enough that even uh, someone like me who isn't good at these types of games can enjoy the gameplay enough to really enjoy the story. That's kind of how I was with Guardians of the Galaxy. Now that game just has like okay combat. I think Jedi, the Jedi games have great combat. It's just I'm not good at it. It's the Souls type of gameplay. So, you know, with Guardians, the combat was fine, but I really enjoyed the story, characters, environments. And so I was able to um, get through the combat to enjoy that stuff. And that's my goal with Jedi Survivor. And story number 13, our final one today, is talking about what I've been doing lately with multi-streaming. Now, obviously, as I talked about with the YouTube situation, I'm going to be delayed for a week doing this, but... Um, I've been multi-streaming and I've done this before, but the way I did it before was by using Streamlabs. And with them, you had to be part of their ultra uh, service, which is like 30 bucks a month or something stupid. It's awful. Um, and it comes with a bunch of good tools, but it's not worth that much money. And so I, um, what I did is I set it up where I use Streamlabs to stream to YouTube. And then I use a, um, a virtual camera that copies everything that happens on the, uh, on, on Streamlabs before it goes to YouTube and can project it. And then I use that. Uh, with the Twitch streaming app, which is called Twitch Desktop, I think, or something like that. Uh, Twitch Live, maybe. And I use that to stream to Twitch. And then I uh, I send my audio to both of them and my mic to both of them. The first stream was a little rough. The next one I did was pretty great. You can check it out on YouTube uh, or on Twitch, I guess. And um, the one thing I identified was like, eh, okay, you know, my CPU is struggling pretty hard. I switched some things up. I made it better 
And then I also upgraded my CPU to a 5800X. Um, I had a 2700X before, or a 3700X before, which is for sale now, by the way. DM me if you want it. And um, I meant to test that uh, this weekend, and I'm not going to be able to because of my situation. So unless it gets appealed, um, it gets accepted. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, but it's been really interesting, and doing the multi-stream has been fun. Um, I need to figure out a better situation with chat because the chat is a, is a mess trying to keep up with both. And then I've got people like Neuronix chatting in both windows, like doing half a sentence in one and then half a sentence on the other service, uh, being a real troll. Um, but other than that, uh, it, it's been really cool, and, and it's probably how I'm going to move forward. I do think streaming on YouTube has improved my viewership um, as well as doing better content and doing more consistent content. Um, but being on Twitch, there's some people who just prefer Twitch um, on YouTube. You, you, you have to like, it's easy for your name to get out there. If you don't realize you need to change it before you chat. Um, there's just a bunch of stuff about YouTube that I think some people just don't like because I haven't seen them around since I switched this month. And so I think doing both is best of both worlds. And once I get the stupid strike situation figured out, I'll get back to that. So um, be sure to follow on either or maybe follow on both platforms and see which one you prefer when I do stream. Okay, so that was the final story. We do have a listener question here. Um, if you have any of your own questions or topics you want me to bring up in the next podcast, um, go to my Discord and ask in the appropriate room. You can ask in the YouTube comments once it's, this gets posted there. Uh, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Bondiesel or at the EchoCast to get your questions in. This week we had Master Prime with thoughts on the Unreal Editor. So that was a whole different part of the show I didn't talk about. They showed how they have this Fortnite editor now that basically anyone can use. Um, they're going to take 40% of the profits uh, of the game from entirely and distribute it based on um, how much play your particular product gets that you make with this editor. And I even found out later that in theory, you could use this editor to make a new game and publish it on Epic's store separate from Fortnite. And so there's going to be people who are going to do that. It won't be very many, but people will. And if you see any of these get really popular through Fortnite, you'll probably see Epic be like, hey, let's polish this thing up and put it out as its own game. And so I think it's great. Um, I think Epic has kind of a weird reputation in gaming that they they seem like they're trying to do the right thing, but they're also still a giant megacorp. Uh, and I, I especially think as they've had more and more studios and publishers switch to them for an engine, I think there's a lot of people worried that just every game is going to be on Unreal Engine 5 and the art of making your own engine is gone and um, that that will maybe lead to games being more homogenous and not as unique as they uh, should be. Um, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with that stuff, but um, I'm at least interested to see where it goes. So I think it's great. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Um, second question and third question are, um, can Grand Theft Auto only work in the U.S.? And if it would go outside of the U.S., what location would you like to see? I would like to see, um, I think it, it can work outside, but it obviously seems like their Duffy is kind of in the U.S. If they did outside the U.S., I would want to see Tokyo or London. I think London would be really interesting. Um, let's, how about a crazy, uh, 
Moscow would be interesting. Um, Istanbul, I think, would be interesting. Um, or even like in the Philippines or like Southeast Asia. I think there's some countries there that have like these like big, giant, crazy cities that a lot of Americans don't even know about. And it would be interesting to see like a fish out of water story there or something like that. Um, yeah, I'd say those are the ones I think would be interesting. And yeah, I for sure think that could work. Um, I just don't think they'll do it. I think they like having their little canon uh, cities and they're just going to bounce around between those forever. You know, that Liberty City, um, San Andreas. Uh, oh, what's the Miami? I forget what the Miami Vice City, I think. Um, I, I think they just kind of like bouncing around with those. But But we'll see. Maybe they'll surprise us one day. And that's the end of the show. That's why I have this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I am happy to get any feedback on the show. If you have it, um, I will post, we'll get the YouTube situation figured out. So um, if you're listening to this on audio, please go check out the YouTube, do the things on there to try to help me out this coming week uh, while I'm waiting to get unbanned from there. Hopefully that appeal goes through, but um, I'm not going to count on it. Uh, you can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel. You can catch me um, on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and over on Twitch. And uh, that's all I have for this one. So until next time.